Chapter Twenty Four of the Black Moth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. The Black Moth by Georgette Hare. Chapter Twenty Four. Richard plays the man. Lady Lavinia's frame of mind when she awoke next morning was hardly befitting one who contemplated an elopement. A weight seemed to rest on her chest. Hopeless misery was gathered about her head. She could not bring herself to drink her chocolate, and feeling that inaction was the worst of all, she very soon crawled out of bed and allowed her maid to dress her. Then she went with dragging steps to her boudoir, wondering all the time where Richard was and what he was doing. She seated herself at her window and looked out onto the square, biting the edge of her handkerchief in the effort to keep back her tears. Richard was in no more cheerful mood. He, too, left his chocolate untouched, and went presently down to the breakfast-table, and looked at the red sirloin with a feeling of acute nausea. He managed to drink a cup of coffee, and immediately afterwards left the room and made his way to his wife's boudoir. He told himself he was acting weakly, and had far better avoid her, but in the end he gave way to his longing to see her, and knocked on one white panel. Lavinia's heart leapt. How well she knew that knock! "'Come in!' she called, and tried to compose her features. Richard entered and shut the door behind him. "'Oh! Oh, good morning!' she smiled. "'You wanted to speak with me, Dick?' "'I—yes, that is—have uh, uh, you the Carlyle's invitation?' It was perhaps an unlucky excuse— Lavinia turned away and fought against her tears. "'I—I I believe tis in my escritoire,' she managed to say. "'I—I I will look for it.' She rose and unlocked the bureau, standing with her back to him. "'Tis no matter,' stammered Carstairs. "'I only—'twas but that I could not find it. Pray do not disturb yourself.' "'Oh, not at all,' she answered, scattering a handful of letters before her. "'Yes,' "'Here it is.' She came up to him with the note in her hand, extending it. Carstairs looked down at the golden head, and at the little face with its eyes cast down, and red mouth set so wistfully. Heavens, how could he bear to live without her? Mechanically he took the letter. Lavinia turned away, and as she stepped from him something snapped in Richard's brain. The luckless invitation was flung down. "'No! By God, you shall not!' he cried suddenly. Lavinia stopped trembling. "'Oh, what do you mean?' she fluttered. The mists were gone from his mind. Everything was clear now. Lavinia should not elope with Lovelace. In two strides he was at her side, had caught her by the shoulders and swung her to face him. "'You shall not leave me. Do you understand? I cannot live without you.' Lavinia gave a little cry full of relief, joy, and wonderment, and shrank against him. "'Oh, please, please forgive me and keep me with you,' she cried, and clung to the lapels of his coat. Carstairs swept her right off the ground in the violence of his embrace, but she did not mind. Although the crushing was ruinous to her silks, silks were no longer uppermost in her brain. She returned his kisses eagerly, sobbing a little. When Carstairs was able to say anything beyond how he loved her, he demanded if she did not love him. "'Of course I do!' she cooed. I always, always did. Only I was so selfish and so careless. He carried her to the sofa and sat down with her on his knee, trying to look into her face, 
but she had somehow contrived to hide it on his shoulder, and he did not succeed. "'Then you never loved that puppy?' he asked, amazed. One hand crept up to his other shoulder. "'Oh, Dickie, no! And you—you you don't love that horrid Mrs. Fanshawe, do you?' He was still more amazed. "'Mrs. Fanshawe? Great heavens, no! You never thought that, Shirley?' "'I did, I did. Since you were always at a house, and so cold to me, how could I help it?' "'Cold to you? My dearest, Shirley not.' "'You were, you truly were, and I was so miserable. I, I thought I had been so unreasonable and so horrid that you had ceased to lo love me, and I did not know what to do, and, and then you told me that you were going to—' to confess, and I lost my temper, and said I would not, not stay with you, and but I never, never meant it, and when you seemed to expect me to go, I, I did not know what to do again. He patted her shoulder comfortingly. Sweetheart, don't cry. I had no idea of all of this. Why, I was sure that you loved Lovelace. I never doubted it. Why in the world did you not tell me the truth? She sat up at that and looked at him. "'Why, how could I?' she demanded. "'I was quite certain that you loved Isabella Fanshawe, and I felt I had to go away, and I could not do it alone. So, so, so of course I had to elope, and I told Harold last night that I would go with him, and I'm afraid he didn't quite want me when he heard that I loved you. Oh, Dicky, darling, you'll tell him that I won't go with him, won't you?' He could not help laughing. "'Aye!' I'll tell him, bone rep, my sweetheart. I can find it in me to be sorry for him. Oh, he will not mind for long, she said philosophically. He loves so easily, you see. But you, Dick, why did you go so often, so very often, to Mrs. Fanshawe? His face grew solemn. She knew Jack in Vienna. I, I wanted to hear all she could tell me of him. I could think of nothing else. Oh, Dickie, how, how wickedly foolish I have been. And twas that that made you so cold, and I thought, oh, dear. He drew her head down onto his shoulder again. My poor love, why, tis the kindest lady imaginable. But as to loving her, he kissed her hand lingeringly. I love, and have always loved, a far different being. A naughty, willful, captivating little person who— Lady Lavinia clasped her arms about his neck. "'You make me so very, very dreadful. I have indeed been naughty. I—' "'And you'll be so many times again,' he told her, laughing. "'No, no, I will try to be good.' "'I do not want you good,' Richard assured her. "'I want you to be your own dear self.' Lady Lavinia disengaged herself with a contented little sigh, and stood up. "'How charming it is to be happy again, to be sure,' she remarked naively. "'To think that only half an hour ago I was wishing to be dead.' She went over to the glass and straightened her hair. Richard looked at her rather anxiously. "'Lavinia, you—you you quite understand. I am going to tell everyone the truth next Friday,' he asked. "'Yes, I do.' "'Of course. "'Tis dreadfully disagreeable of you, but I suppose you will do it. "'I do hope people will not refuse to recognize us, though.' 
No one would ever refuse to recognize you, dearest. She brightened. Do you really think so? Well, perhaps after all, twill not be so very horrid. And, and you will like to have Jack again, won't you? Yes, I knew you would. Oh, twill all be quite comfortable after a little while, I make no doubt. His grace of Andover arose betimes, and early sallied forth into the street. He called a chair and drove to an address in the Strand, where lodged a certain Colonel Shepherd. Half an hour did he spend with the Colonel, and when he at length emerged from the house, the curl of his lip betokened satisfaction. He did not at once hail a chair, but walked alone in the direction of St. James's. Entering the park in company with one Dare, who seven years before had given a certain memorable card-party, Dare was pleasantly intrigued over Richard's latest oddity. "'Have you any idea what tis about, Belmanoir?' he inquired. "'Has he written you to come as well?' "'I believe. I did receive some communication from Garstairs, yes. I remember. Andrew brought it.' "'Well, what does it mean? Fortescue is bidden, and Davenant, tis very curious.' "'My dear Dare,' I am not in Richard's confidence. We should doubtless hear all that there is to hear at the given time. Mysteries do not interest me. But twill be a pleasant reunion. Fortescue and Davenant, you say? Strange. I have heard that Evans and Millward have also received their some invitations. It should be most entertaining. "'Tis prodigious curious," repeated Dare. No one can imagine what tis all about. Ah! His grace's thin lips twitched. Midway through the afternoon he repaired to Wincham House, and was ushered into the library. Richard sat writing, but rose on seeing him, and came forward. It struck his grace that Carstairs was looking quite happy. "'You seem cheerful, Richard.' "'I am,' smiled his brother-in-law. "'I am much relieved to hear it. I have seen Shepherd.' "'Shepherd?' interrogated Carstairs. "'Lovelace's colonel, my dear Richard.' You may count on Captain Harold's departure, on an important mission in, say, forty-eight hours. You may count on Captain Harold's departure in very much less, Tracy, said Carstairs, a twinkle in his eye. The Duke started forward. She has gone, he almost hissed. Gone? No, she is in the drawing-room with him. With Lovelace. And you permit it. You stand by and watch another man— say farewell to my wife. But I am not watching, as you see. The anger died out of his grace's eyes. Farewell. Do you tell me you at last came to your senses? We found that we both laboured under a delusion, replied Carstairs pleasantly. I am delighted to hear you say so. I hope you will, for the future, keep a stricter hold on Lavinia. Do you? I do. I think I will not undo what I have done. Lovelace were perhaps better out of the way for a time. Why, I have no objection to that, bowed Richard. His grace nodded shortly and picked up his hat. Then there remains nothing more to be done in the matter. He looked piercingly across at Carstairs. She did not love him? Richard gave a happy little sigh. She loves me. The heavy lids drooped again. You cannot conceive my delight. If she indeed loves you, she is safe. I thought she had not got it in her. Pray bear my respects to her. His hand was on the doorknob, when something seemed to occur to him. 
"'I take my presence at Wincham on Friday will not be necessary,' he said cynically. Richard flushed. "'It will not be necessary.' Mm, "'Then I am sure you will excuse me, and I do not appear. I have other, more important affairs on hand. But I shall be loath to miss the heroics.' he added pensively, and chuckled. Au revoir, my good Richard. Richard bowed him out thankfully. Presently the front door opened and shut again, and looking out of the window, he saw that Captain Harold Lovelace had taken his departure. He was now awaiting Mr. Warburton, whom he had sent in search of John some days ago. He should have been here by now, he thought, but perhaps he had been detained. Richard was aching to hear news of his brother, longing to see him once more, but at the same time he was dreading the meeting, he shrank from the thought of looking into Jack's eyes, cold, even scornful. It was not possible, so he reasoned, that Jack should feel no resentment. "'Mr. Warburton, sir!' Carstairs turned, and came eagerly forward to greet the newcomer. "'Well? Well?' Mr. Warburton spread out deprecating hands. "'Alas, Mr. Carstairs!' Richard caught his arm. "'What mean you? He is not dead?' "'I do not know, sir.' "'You could not find him? Quick, tell me.' "'Alas, no, sir. But the checkers, he said, surely they knew something.' "'Not, Mr. Carstairs.' Out came Mr. Warburton's snuff-box. Very deliberately he took a pinch, shaking the remains from his fingertips. "'The host, Chadber, an honest man, though lacking in humour, has not set eyes on my lord for well-nigh six months.' "'Not since I went to advise my lord of the earl's death.' "'But Warburton, he cannot be far. "'He is not dead, or surely not that.' "'No, no, Master Dick,' soothed the lawyer. "'We should have heard of it had he been killed. "'I fear he has gone abroad once more. "'It seems he often spoke of travelling again.' "'Abroad? God, don't let me lose him again!' "'He sank into a chair, his head in his hands. "'Tart!' I implore you, Mr. Carstairs, do not despair yet. We have no proof that he has left the country. I dare say we shall find him almost at once. Chadber thinks it likely he will visit the inn again ere long. Calm yourself, Master Dick. He walked up to the man and laid a hand on one heaving shoulder. We shall find him, never fear. But do not. I know. T'would grieve him to see you so upset, Master Dick. Pray do not. If I could only make amends— groaned Richard. "'Well, sir, are you not about to? He would not wish you to distress yourself like this. He was so fond of you. Pray, pray do not.' Carstairs rose unsteadily and walked to the window. "'I crave your pardon, Mr. Warburton. You must excuse me. I have been living in hell this last week.' Warburton came over to his side. "'Master Dick, I—you know I have never cared for you as well as—' "'You cared for him?' "'Uh, yes, sir, exactly. "'And of late years I have may, perhaps, been hard. "'I would desire to, uh, apologize for any unjust, uh, thoughts I have harboured against you. "'I, I possibly, I never quite understood. "'That is all, sir.' "'He blew his nose rather violently, and then his hand found Richard's. "'Richard Carstairs had plenty to occupy him for the rest of the week.' Arrangements had to be made, a house acquired for Lavinia, Wincham House to be thoroughly cleaned and put in order, awaiting its rightful owner. Once she had made up her mind to face the inevitable, Lavinia quite enjoyed all the preparations. 
The new house in Great German Street she voted charming, and she straightway set to work to buy very expensive furniture for it, and to superintend all the alterations. In her present penitent mood, she would even have accompanied her husband to Wincham on Monday to stand by him on the fateful Friday, but this he would not allow, insisting that she remain in town until his return. So she fluttered contentedly from Grosvenor Square to German Street, very busy and quite happy. Carstairs was to travel to Wincham on Monday, arriving there the following evening in company with Andrew, whom he was taking as far as Andover. His lordship had lately embroiled himself in a quarrel over a lady when deep in his cups, and owing to the subsequent duel at Barn Elms, and the almost overpowering nature of his debts, he deemed it prudent to go into seclusion for a spell. Tracy disappeared from town in the middle of the week, whither no one knew, but it was universally believed that he had gone to Scotland on a visit. Monday at length dawned fair and promising. After bidding his wife a very tender farewell, and gently drying her wet eyelashes with his own handkerchief, Richard set out with his brother-in-law in the big travelling chaise soon after noon. Andrew had quite recovered his hitherto rather dampened spirits, and produced a dice-box from one pocket and a pack of cards from the other, wherewith to beguile the tedium of the journey. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona September 2011